Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. From New York City for our audience worldwide for the White House's view on the jobs report, I'm very pleased to say on Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio, we're joined by Larry Kudlow, National Economic Council Director. Larry, fantastic to catch up with you, sir. You're looking well. Let's get straight to it. Payrolls are looking good. What does that payrolls report mean for the talks that you guys are having on Capitol Hill on the next steps over fiscal policy? Well, look, I think the continued rise in payrolls, and, and bear in mind, Jonathan, you know, this was a hot spot payroll report. This was July 20th to 18. And the surging hotspots in the South and West and some other places began in the back end of June and lasted through July. You know, there was some pullback of reopenings and so forth. And yet, and yet, we still got uh, 1.8 million with a big decline, almost a full percentage point drop in the unemployment rate, which will move to single digits uh, easily in the summer and fall. So I think that's a very key point just in terms of the economy. Now, how that reacts, how that reflects on the talks, uh, the talks are rather stalemated right now. There was a better tone early this week, but um, through last evening, there hadn't been any breakthroughs. That's unfortunate. However, the president has said several times in the last 48 hours, and I can attest to it because I'm working on it, he's going to use executive orders administrative uh, discretion, the full powers of the federal government in order to get certain priorities through. For example, a payroll tax cut, which will incentivize work returning to work uh, and also uh, give a bonus to those stalwarts who stayed on the job. Uh, we'd like to reform unemployment. Uh, we'd like to put in uh, benefits for reemployment uh, or some kind of uh, business retention credits. Uh, we want to make sure the eviction moratorium uh, continues apace. Uh, we think the executive branch can do that. We think he has the authority to do that. We are exploring and drafting documents as you and I speak this morning. Okay. And um, people should take him very, very seriously. If the Democrat side doesn't want to get it done, certain essentials, we will get it done to make sure that folks go back to work, to make sure that kids can go back to school, and to make sure that this V-shaped recovery continues well through this year. Well, Larry, I'll stay away from the V-shaped predictions. Let's stick to policy and what you guys are up to at the moment. For a threat to be credible, we have to test the credibility of that threat. Now, I'm trying to understand if you can do this, why haven't you done it? If you can do something with executive powers, what are you waiting for? Well, stay tuned. I mean, look, we've been in a negotiation. That has to come first. All I'll say is stay tuned. The president, I'm sure, will be weighing in with his own views as the day goes on. Would you have a deadline, Larry? Is it the end of the day? Are the talks scheduled for today if they're not successful? I need some colour here. Do you have talks scheduled for today on Capitol Hill? Uh, I'm sure there will be talks, whether formally or informally. I have no doubt about that. Uh, Chief uh, Mark Meadows said the other day, if we didn't get it done by Friday, we may not get it done at all. Um, I think he's just being realistic about that. Secretary Mnuchin is in there pitching away. But, you know, a lot of the other team's asks are just not realistic. They lack common sense. And um, a lot of it, you know, probably as much as a trillion dollars was obligated but unspent yep. through the March CARES Act. So we may be able to repurpose that. So, look, we're, you know, 
There's a process here. Understood. The process is negotiations, but the president has said with great clarity in the last two days, if need be, he is more than happy. Uh, indeed, I think he would like to use executive authority to get things done. Look, we stand for lower taxes and rollback of regulations and fair uh, trade. Sure, uh, Larry, those are our principles. You and I and talk about that every month. Give, he is not going to give that back. Okay. Just because of a recalcitrant uh, House of Representatives. Larry, I'm so not going to dance around it. Executive authority. Let me we ask it again. Executive authority. If you don't have a successful breakthrough by the end of today, are you going to do it or not? Or are we going to carry on having this conversation through to next week? Well, Jonathan, we might, you know, I'm always willing to talk to you if you want to talk next week. I'm I'd happy love to. to talk next week. I, I don't want to second guess what the president's going to do. Uh, he's a very good communicator, and you can be assured he will be out and about today and probably tomorrow talking about this. It'll be on his time. I'm not here to announce anything. It's up to him. Well, it's not on our time, is it? And to be fair, it's not on the president's either, Larry, because the real deadline was last week when the enhanced unemployment benefits expired. This self-imposed Friday deadline was about politicians too scared to go home and face the embarrassment of not getting a deal done on Capitol Hill. So we can talk about the scope for compromise now, so let's do that. As far as I understand, the Republicans in the White House has offered $400 per week in enhanced unemployment benefits. Democrats are at $600. They're pushing back. As far as I understand, you're offering $200 billion for state aid. The Democrats want a trillion. They're pushing back. The spread right now is still $2 trillion. Where's the scope for compromise, Larry? Well, Jonathan, much as I might like to, um, I'm really not here this morning to negotiate with you. All right. I'm going to let the negotiators negotiate. Fully understood. But send a message I'm to the American let, people as I'm, to why I'm you guys the, are going to do the right thing and why well, you're look, willing to get something done instead of nothing. Uh, well, it, look, the something has to be good. It has to be smart. It has to be efficient. And it has to have job and economic growth incentives. That's the something. And again, the president has a clear set of growth principles, and he is more than willing uh, to help where help is necessary throughout the economy. There's still hardship. Yeah, good jobs numbers today. We had a lot of numbers. ISMs are booming. Sure. Inventories are falling. Car sales are surging. That tells you this is a self-sustaining recovery. We want to keep it that way. His message is going to be lower taxes, smart spending and uh, continued deregulation as well as fair trade deals. So that's his principles. And we can use a lot of executive authority. As I said, it's being drafted right now. I'm not going to negotiate here. I'm just saying I don't expect to negotiate. I want to understand the balance of risk, Larry. I just want to understand the balance of risk. That's all I want to understand. The, the balance of risk is, uh, is one of those amorphous phrases about negotiation. Well, let me put it a better Look, way then. What's Jonathan, the biggest risk me, for you me, right me, now? Me, the risk me, of not me, doing me, enough Jonathan, or the risk of doing me, too much? Let me, so please, let me finish my sentence. I'm just saying, if, if the Congress does not act, if there's no deal, and right now it doesn't look that great, then the president will take his own actions. The solution here is to come to a pro-growth, yep. common-sense, pragmatic compromise. Thus far, that has been elusive. And in that case, the president, who is a great leader and makes good on his promises, will exercise his leadership and all of his executive federal authorities. You can count on that. You can take that to the bank. The one thing you didn't say, though, Larry, was what you guys would do with executive powers on state aid. 
I've spoken to New York State. They've told me if they don't get the aid, the austerity begins immediately. Now, you're an economist. You've got way more experience than I on Wall Street going back decades. You know that the federal government is the only one right now that can act counter-cyclically. States do not have that benefit. They do not have that option. And you also know if they don't get that aid, the austerity starts immediately. So as the administration, as the government, we've got to understand what's the federal strategy when the state-level austerity kicks in because we can't find an agreement on state aid? Well, you know, it's hard to say, Jonathan, that the CARES bill and other bills in the last three, four months is austerity. I mean, we put out, what, $3.5 trillion of fiscal assistance in many forms. The Federal Reserve, all in, has put out over $7 trillion uh, through the money supply and their lending facilities. This is not austerity. I mean, you're just, that's what the Not from the show. federal government, Larry. I'm not suggesting it will be. I'm saying from They're, states, they will have I, to cut. You know the they states, will. The states, ha I will say this. Because of the pandemic contraction, the income statements of state and local governments and the federal government have deteriorated. Absolutely. Now, what is the solution? Some of the solution is an aid. Some of the solution is economic growth, where the revenues will start pouring in and more people go back to work and they pay taxes and so do businesses. We have given the states, through prior deals, literally hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. Now, I don't want to second guess. I'm not here to negotiate. We are looking at all of these asks from our friends across the aisle. I know the president is especially interested in making sure there are sufficient resources to get the kids back to school. If we apply the guidelines of distancing and masking and testing and good hygiene, the kids can get back to school. If the schools need more equipment, if there's COVID-related expenses, I think there's a chance the president would be happy to pitch in. But the bill that we have been given yeah. from the other team goes way, way, way beyond that. And there's a lot of Democrat asks that simply don't make sense, uh, certainly not in the present context. And so we have to separate that out. It's not so simple to just say there's fiscal austerity in the states. Hundreds and hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars have now passed from federal to states. So let's try to be smart and efficient and let's target, again, I want to target people getting back to work. I know you I do. I want to target kids going back to school. I know you do. I want to target employment incentives, not unemployment incentives. I want to target re-employment incentives. I want to make sure that people do not get evicted from their apartments or their homes. These are things we may be able to do uh, through executive authority because the Congress can't seem to get together for a bipartisan well, well, deal. Let's, so let's be see it, if it happens. We will get it done. Growth, growth, schools, jobs, yep. kids. Let me make this real simple. And we will do whatever federal levers we have at our disposal. That is the president's pledge. And you'll hear plenty from him Larry, in the coming hours and days. I've sat across from you. I know you're a good man. I know that you want the best for the American people. I've also watched what it's like to watch your dad come home because the business has got to close. I've watched what happened when the house has to be sold and your family's got to move in and move in with a, with a relative. I know what that feels like, the economic pain that people are going through in this country at the moment. And Larry, what really upsets me, and I think it's borderline embarrassing, is that if this equity market was 20% lower, 
I think you and I'd have a different conversation, wouldn't we? There'd be much more urgency. And what I don't understand is the lack of urgency right now, Larry. I just don't understand it. If you can do these things to make the lives of people better, why weren't they done yesterday? Jonathan, let me say this. Look, uh, I'm a bleeding heart, too, okay? I'm a Jack Kemp bleeding heart conservative on the supply side. You can't measure these things in just dollars spent. I mean, we know this. We know this. You put in three and a half trillion dollars already. The other team wants another three or four trillion dollars. Is that the answer? There are other better targeted ways. I want everybody to go back to work. You know, we've created over nine million jobs. We're clawed back about 40 percent of the terrible loss from the pandemic. Attack. Larry, if you wanted to go and eat I with me tonight, hardship. we can't even you eat gotta, inside a you, restaurant in New York Jonathan, City. Come on. Jonathan, you got to let, Jonathan, the only ask I have right now is sure. let, you let me finish my Of sentence, course, by okay? all means, sir, carry on. You had a little, you had a little sermonette and I enjoyed it very much. And I love uh, Larry, respectfully, that Sunday. wasn't a sermon. That was me being personal. And, and you understand, is, please carry there on. There are many other ways to deal with these problems, okay? Throwing money at them is not only the answer. You have to create economic growth incentives. But look, we are willing to spend money. I mean, that's not the point. The president himself has endorsed another round of direct mail checks. He has endorsed that. He has also endorsed continued unemployment assistance. The question is, what is the overall policy to make sure that it makes sense that there are incentives to go back to work. Yeah. And we have a very full-fledged plan to do exactly that. We want to reward people and the businesses they work for to go back to work. We will extend the PPP. That is part of our package. Again, I'm not going to negotiate, but that's in our mix. We have retention credits for new jobs. We have benefits for reemployment. We want to cut the payroll tax, which would give existing workers a tremendous boost in income. I think with, even in five months, it would still be $1,200 a year or more. All right, People who are not working can go back to work and realize their after-tax wage is higher than the unemployment. That's a good thing. So we got to be smart. It's not just a question, you know, I'm not going to cede the ground of compassion. We are all compassionate. Yep. We all want everybody. We all know people, families, cousins, kids, neighbors who have been damaged by this terrible pandemic uh, correction. Uh, that's, we know that. And we've been working on this now for five months at warp speed. We are even at the point now where six or seven companies, aided by federal money, large chunks of it, are in phase three of vaccination testing, which is a huge part of the story. And as far as getting the kids back to school, in addition to the masking uh, and the distancing and the hygiene and so forth, we are willing. We have in our negotiating position a good deal of money, well over $100 billion to help yep. them get to school. So we're trying to target things. But we're not going to allow a transformation of the economy whereby the government and its planners run everything, health care, energy, you name it. We are not going to go down that road. We've tried that in the past, and it does not work. You have to be smart. You have to focus on the incentive model of growth, and then we will see the successes. We've had plenty of economic comebacks in this country. Throwing money at every problem is not 
the best course of action. Let's be smart, let's be efficient, yeah. and let's provide incentives. And again, if we can't get a compromise the way we did last March, then the president will act with his own executive powers. And let me tell you, it's not a bluff. Final question, because I know I'm going to get in trouble with the White House for keeping you too long, Larry. What am I going to see first, executive action on all the things you describe, or sanctions on Carrie Lam? Jonathan, those are completely disconnected. I, I'm not going to respond to that. Well, do we, we expect an announcement on that a little bit later? Jonathan, I, I, I'm not here to talk about those. We have already uh, done an executive order uh, with respect to um, sanctions uh, on Hong Kong and China for their many misdeeds, not only taking away the freedom of Hong Kong and breaking a 50-year deal, but Chinese have to be held accountable on the, their bad behavior during the pandemic, their bad human rights records, what they're doing militarily in the, China, in the South China Sea. Uh, and we are putting out, as you probably know, uh, we are going to protect American investors with a much tougher approach with respect to the auditing of Chinese public companies. And the Public Accounting Board and the SEC, uh, we had a Treasury or a, a financial working group. We just published this stuff. We're going to give one year to shape up on the audits and on the working papers behind the audits yeah. to see if they deserve a listing on American exchanges. We have to protect our own investors. We have to protect our national security. Those are tough gritty issues, and we're making progress. Those are separate issues, however, from these uh, fiscal negotiations. Larry, I know you're a man with a good heart, and I appreciate your time every first Friday whenever we get the payrolls report. I really do. You're a good sport. Thanks for joining us, and I hope for the best a little bit later as well. Larry Kudlow, National Economic Council Director. Right now, linking much of this report back into the financial markets, Jeffrey Rosenberg joins us, portfolio manager of the Systematic Multi-Strategy Fund. Jeff, let's get systematic right now in that I see higher yields. Is it a modest adjustment, or can you say that we will pull back from those lower nominal yields of the last number of days? I think it's a really modest adjustment, Tom. And I think earlier you really nailed it when you linked the report, not to the implications for monetary policy, but to the implications for fiscal policy. So when you're looking at the bond market and the yield reaction, you really got to go out a lot of decimal points to see a reaction to this report because this isn't really about influencing monetary policy because monetary policy has been very clear that it is going to be highly accommodative, that it, they're going back to trying to get the economy to run hot. So you needed to have a very, very big number here. And even if you had a big number, I'm not sure that would have changed mm. the monetary policy outlook. This is much more about influencing the market direction is taking its direction from fiscal policy. And, and to what you talked about earlier, you know, I think this is a little bit more of a positive report that makes it a little <clears throat> bit harder to argue for the really big project, yeah. the really big pro pro program. We'll, we'll see where that plays out, but this is much more about fiscal policy. We welcome all of you on Bloomberg Radio, Bloomberg Television. It is Bloomberg Surveillance. It's about conversation. Jeffrey Rosenberg with us with BlackRock. Dan uh, David Blanchflower of Dartmouth College will join us here. Really looking forward to talking to Blanchflower about the quality of these jobs. Lisa? Yeah, I got to say, Jeff, you were talking about the idea of Washington, D.C. and the need for fiscal stimulus. And Tom, we've been talking about that all morning. But Jeff, right 
right now it seems like there isn't a ton of urgency based on the fact that Republicans are going home and there might be some sort of executive order. This report isn't going to light a fire. Is the market too sanguine about the idea of another round of fiscal support? Well, I, I think there's a, a, a lot of uncertainty now. And I think if anything, you look at the report and it adds to that uncertainty. You know, the market is expecting some kind of compromise, some kind of deal. Perhaps they were leaning towards the higher end. I think that's going to challenge this. I think eventually the market is expecting some kind of next round program to come through. And today's payroll report, you know, still gives a, a, a bit of ammunition. You know, we talked about the 10.2 percent unemployment rate. You know, we're making progress, but it also highlights just the significant amount of damage that has been done and continues to, to impact people. That is the argument for another program here. How do you use the economic data that we get to decide how to trade? So, you know, it's been a, a, a big challenge because the economic data is just so dramatic. Let's just take the payroll report itself here. You know, we came in kind of pretty close to the, the expectations, but the range of those expectations is greater than, than anything you've seen in, in any time. The, the inflows and outflows are uh, orders of magnitude greater. And the variability around the expectations ranged from, you know, minus 600 to over 3 million. So what it means is that when you look at economic data relative, you know, what we what we emphasize is the surprise. Well, what, what the uncertainty means is it's much harder to gauge what is that surprise level. And so your, your impact of any economic data relative to expectations, because you don't know how to anchor those expectations, all have to be very dampened. Uh, relative to, to kind of more mm. normal periods. Jeff, within the mathematics of all this, there's a point where you shift from a yield study to a price study. And certainly in the tension this week, I've seen that. Are we now at a point where people are just buying full faith and credit just because they're buying it and they'll take it at any price and price matters, up, up we go in the bid? Well, in terms of the, the safe assets, when you talk about, you know, full faith and credit is really about treasuries and treasury yields. You know, it's it's about monetary policy and monetary policy expectations. We, we've really changed the functioning of fixed income markets. How we set prices is a lot less about, you know, what do these economic numbers mean about expected inflation and, and short term movements. It's much more first about what does it mean to the policy response? Because the policy today is is moving towards a, a contemplation of full outright control. We call it yield curve control of the bond market. And so it's really much more about our assessment of what does this do about the change in policy, less about the economic data directly impacting trading. And so it's, it's a very different kind of environment for setting of interest rates uh, by the bond market. Is it where are you on a call on the bonds? I mean, you're running a systematic portfolio and there's the Carnegie Mellon mathiness to it. I get all that. But what is your call on the full faith and credit market, Jeff? Well, the, the call is that the policy is very clear and the policy is maintain market fun, uh, functioning and then pivoting towards accommodation. And so what that means is we're going to have very low interest rates for a very long time. Zero interest rate policy is going to be with us for a very long time. I don't think we're going to go and see negative interest rates, but the control of the long-term interest rates is very much part of the policy. And so you're looking at a period of very low interest rates, 
front-end interest rates basically pegged and functioning like a surrogate for cash, and long-term interest rates really under the thumb of monetary policy until we can start to see some real progress on inflation. And until then, uh, it's it's a it's a low and stable interest rate environment. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Jeff Rosenberg of BlackRock following a better than expected jobs report. Initially, there was a pop in equity futures. There is a rollover at this point as people dig a little bit further, a little bit deeper down into the negative. And 10-year yields initially popped up, but are little changed, just up uh, a tiny bit. Jeff, talking about inflation, we've been really focused on real rates in the United States at negative 1.1% all-time lows. Question, how low can they go? What's the answer? Well, you know, a lot of the movement in the real interest rates is is pricing in a recovery in inflation and inflation expectations, while at the same time, the Fed is basically pegging nominal interest rates. You know, so we, we could see that move a little bit more, but it's very unlikely that we're going to see significant increases in inflation expectations absent significant increases in actual or perceived inflation pressures. And and we're very far away from that. The COVID shock is a massive disinflationary shock. And so what we're seeing in terms of those negative real interest rates is really a recovery off of those extremes and a little bit fueled by some of the short-term recovery in terms of commodity prices. But we are still in a very low interest, uh, low inflationary environment. And until we break that environment, yeah. which I don't think is happening anytime in the short run, uh, we're not going to see significant changes there. Jeffrey Rosenberg, thank you so much with BlackRock. Right now we go to Hanover, New Hampshire. David Blanchflower is with Dartmouth College. David Blanchflower is definitive on wages. David Blanchflower is definitive on the nuances of our employment and our underemployment as well. Danny Blanchflower, wonderful to have you with us today. Right. How yes. underemployed is America? Well, it certainly is, although we've seen a decline in that in the data now. I mean, the reality is that the unemployment numbers have really come down. Um, underemployment, which is reflected in U6, has come down a little bit. Um, but what we're going to see is we just don't have very great measures of that. So the question is, if people go back to work, are they going to get the same hours and the same income as they had in the past? Or are they going to have less hours and less income? And that looks to be the thing we're going to need to look at. You know, if you're a restaurant worker, oh, the restaurant opens. Are you going to get the same amount of work as you had in the past? So I think the underemployment story is something we need to watch. But this is definitively a good a good report. Yes. Better than probably I expected on every on every component. So the establishment data is good. The household data is good. Um, the employment population rates up. The labor force participation's up. So, so these are good numbers. But the question, obviously, is what happens state by state and what happens down the road when and if um, the, the stimulus um, payments run out? Within your study at the Bank of England, and granted, the United Kingdom is a different economy, what is the risk of a one month of a better report? Can you extrapolate it out or do you just simply have to wait for the first week of September? Well, I think this is this is unprecedented territory. We've never seen anything, any dip of the kind that we saw, not even so much necessarily the scale of the dip, but the speed. So there's really no precedent. And Mike was talking about what happens state by state. We yet to know that. But I think I, I do think you're right that what we have to very carefully do is watch things month by month. 
um, and see where we go. I, I mean, I have nothing in the past really to help me with this, but this is this is encouraging. And the government is going to be able to say, look, you know, recovery, recovery is is coming. Yeah. Um, the question is, you know, are we headed towards a cliff? That's the question we don't know. And we're going to have to watch and wait and see if there is a second. Is there a second round of the virus? Is there a second round of layoffs from firms? I mean, we're still at the point of 10% unemployment rate, plus, which people haven't talked about, plus another point for that misclassification uh, if this month. It's not as big as it was, but my reading is that you add another percentage point because people wrongly were classified as as employed was really they were unemployed. Danny, one idea of yours that I absolutely love is this idea of walkabout economics, right. this idea that you get away from the charts, you get away from the formulas, and you walk around and you take a look at how it feels and what it looks like. And you said back in 2008, if policymakers had been able to do that, they would have come up with a very different result. Right now, what is walkabout economics telling you? <laughs> the first thing walkabout economics tells you is that we're not doing much walking about, I call it now, the economics <laughs> of walking about the Internet. Yeah, fair enough. Like, fair right. enough. But, but I think the answer is that we're, we're hearing, I mean, it's really important to get to deep within the numbers. We are hearing recovery, but actually we're hearing slowing coming in big states like Arizona and Texas and Florida. And the question is, does our sense of what's happening, the reports, the pulse survey that the census is doing, and that report was rather more weak, if you like, than this. So I think we have to look and, and do what Bloomberg is fantastic at. Talk to people, talk to people on the ground, talk to employers and say to them, what's going on? I mean, I've heard stories saying big firms are doing OK, small firms are doing OK. There's stories about mid-sized firms. How are they doing? So I think that, that back to back to Tom's question, do we know what's going on? The answer is we don't. But the right thing to do, listen to Bloomberg, because Bloomberg actually gets. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We did not say? pay him. I promise. I'm doing a job advert. But but it's really very good at this. And certainly in 2008, if people had done the economics of walking about, they would have seen the recession much more than economists did, who were playing with their silly models and missed it entirely. But it was absolutely clear when you talk to employers and you talk to people, they saw this thing coming. So I think we have to be very mindful of, of using that market intelligence to tell us where we're going. And this report, I think, is a little more positive than the market intelligence is, but let's see where we go. And there's a question also of something Tom keeps talking about, <clears throat> rightly so, which is the income inequality. And initially during the pandemic, people were saying this was going to be exacerbated dramatically by the COVID era. Do we still feel that way based on the fact that a lot of the lower wage jobs are coming back as the economy comes back online? Well, we are. I mean, we've see, we're seeing across the board changes. Oh, and I was just looking at this. But, but we're certainly still seeing very much higher rates for um, African-Americans, for uh, Hispanics, for less, less, um, uh, less educated. First, two points. First of all, those folks are the ones who also disproportionately have this um, error, which means you top the numbers up. They're also the people who disproportionately are impacted by, by underemployment. And you see this big inequality. But one story I think we all have to get to is <clears throat> in a period of lockdown where people have been temporarily laid off and furloughed, what about young people? 
What about the youngsters who left school in June? Yeah. Um, who's going to yeah. hire those? And they're missing out on these numbers. We're going to start to see them coming through. But the story about minority unemployment, less skilled unemployment, what are those kids going to be doing? And yeah. I mean, in some sense, you might think the social unrest we've seen is a function of young people have nothing to do. And literally a new hysteresis from Blanchard yeah. and Summers there as well. Danny, I want to take the time here and rip up the script. And I want to talk to you. I, I've had the privilege, folks, of standing with Mr. Blanche Flower in his lecture halls at Dartmouth and warbling gaily to the assembled. Danny, does virtual learning work not only at the Dartmouth level, but down to kindergarten? Do you think this nation can actually virtually teach our students? Well, I, I can talk to the classes that I taught in the, in the spring, and I'm about to go and teach again. I think they went extremely well. We put a lot of resources into it. Um, I think it was very, really pretty successful. I'm not sh so sure about how you're going to deal with eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds. Um, but I think on the, uh, the, the, the model for the university student, I think, has changed the world. It's changed the campus experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was very effective. I mean, I, I've got a class of 50, 50 students who are coming to, 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 to in, the, in the fall, and I'm going to teach them about, you know, what, what Bloomberg does, the economics of walking about. And we can do it pretty well. And there's, there's people in China. There's people in Argentina. So I think that it, it's pretty good. But it's, it goes, because it's been successful, it's going to challenge this higher education right. model. The question is down the down the line. What are you going to do for for the young ones? And I think that's a greater yeah. challenge. David, because they need more handholding. But I yeah. think our students, certainly at the Dartmouth level, we've done pretty darn well. I think, and it's gone well. Now we've got to leave it there, David Blanchard. Thank you so much for Dartmouth perspective, of and of course on this historic Jobs Day. Tiffany Wilding demands that she only come on at 9.31 so she has a full hour to digest what has been wrought. Tiffany, in the hour that you've had since the jobs report out at PIMCO, what can you slice? What can you dice here? What is the observation you have? Well, thanks for having me on, Tom. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the demands, but um, you know, I think in terms of the the report today, I mean, clearly it was a um, it was a stronger than expected report. Um, but I think we have to keep in mind here that that the state is lagging in terms of when it says the July report, it really means halfway through July because that's when the survey is taken. So it's really capturing halfway through June to halfway through July, and there was still some momentum yeah. in the labor market at that time. But what we've seen, you know, we look at a lot of high, what we call higher frequency data now because this virus crisis has been so fast moving. And what we see across a range of that data is that momentum has slowed, you know, quite dramatically, flattened out quite dramatically, um, you know, in <clears throat> July as the whole month. So I think in August, you're going to see, um, you're going to see an even more slow, right. you know, <clears throat> report uh, for, for jobs. Well, sort of inside baseball, but um, I'll go there. The next report obviously will be what it will be, but are you suggesting we could see substantial revisions to this good report? Um, I mean, certainly revisions are are possible. Um, you know, I think I think it's you know we did see in the high frequency data though there was still some momentum in jobs at the end of June. Um, you know, maybe we could have seen a little bit of noise as a result of of the. Uh, the uh, um, the July 4th holiday, um, but I think in August, what's clear is that labor market momentum has 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 very much slowed. I mean, we could see a you know kind of net 
zero job gains there. You know, but I think maybe what's more important about this report, unfortunately, is about how it impacts negotiations for the ongo- you know, for the stimulus bill that we could see out of Washington. You know, and although you know we currently expect you know around a, a one and a half to two trillion bill, I certainly think that this report it was stronger. Probably at a minimum gives those thirty or so Republicans who kind of opposed any deal, it gives them sort of a stronger position to stand on. You know, but again, it, it, it's, we have to remember this a lagging report, so it doesn't change the fact that things have slowed down even since uh, this data was captured. So given that it's a lagging report, Tiffany, and given that we have a pretty good feel when we look at the high-frequency data that uh, the momentum is slowing across the economy, including the jobs market, um, what do you think this fiscal stimulus bill needs to include? Does it need to include you know, state and local municipal support? Um, I mean, so yeah, certainly. Um, so many state and you know, uh, virtually all states require uh, you know balanced budgets. So they're not like the federal government where they can issue debt to uh, fund a deficit. So all of that means that the, the massive hole that's been blown in state budgets as a result of lower revenues uh, because businesses are closed, you know, that just means that they have to reduce spending. And what do states reduce spending on? It's things like services, so education, um, you know, garbage pickup, fire and police, and things like that. So. Ultimately, unless uh, you know the, gov- the federal government steps in with some funding for states, you know they are going to have to slash those budgets. That's going to be a drag on the broader economy, uh, you know. And so, of course, we want to see that. I think the other thing that's really important about you know getting in this bill is the continuation of the unemployment, the, the kind of booster, if you will, emergency unemployment insurance benefits, which were $600 a week. You know, they probably do uh, go down a little bit, but I think it's really important that we see those. Now, we're already seeing a lapse in coverage of that $600 a week because it expired at the end of July. So it'll be really interesting to see how consumers, you know, start to react with their spending, not getting that extra $600 a week. What what would be the jump if if August colors, like you're saying, what would be the jump of the unemployment rate? Are we talking about, you know, nuancing tenths of a percentage point? Or are you talking, Tiffany, about a real reversal to a more grim unemployment rate. You know, now, the, the high-frequency data that we look at is, again, a slowing of, of momentum. So it's not that its employment is outright falling yet. At least we're not seeing that. We're basically seeing kind of flat. Okay, fair, you know, so I think, fair. Yeah. yeah, so if you if you think about just the change of employment, I think it very well could be something closer to flat. Um, and then that would suggest, you know, yeah. nuances in the participation rate or whatever okay, are really going to be but driving the unemployment Tiffany, rate. Tiffany, this is well said, br- brilliant. Maybe the smartest thing I've heard all morning from a lot of smart people. Flat isn't acceptable, right? Yeah, I mean, we need to see continued improvement. I mean, even with this report, it was better than many expected, but we've only seen 42% of the jobs lost in August and April recouped. And that's not, uh, you know, and, and we're the, the unemployment rate right now is still above where it, you know, where it, kind of the highest that it got after the, the 2008 financial mm-hmm. crisis. You know, so ultimately, we want a road to recovery here, and we are, we're, not, we're still not close to f- being fully recovered. Um, you know, so at this point, flat that is not acceptable. All right. So, Tiffany, as you put all this into your PIMCO economic model, give us a sense of how you think the economy is going to kind of, you know, kind of recover in terms of, you know, the remainder of this year going into 2021. 
Well, I mean, ultimately, we had always expected, you know, kind of a boost of activity right as the economy reopened. And we got that. And that was actually stronger than we had hoped because of the fiscal stimulus measures that really amped that up. And after that, we thought, you know, things will flatten off, but we still will get growth. It will be a longer recovery. Um, You know, I think that broad baseline is still intact. I think one thing that is good news, though, is because we've, you know, seen some flattening out or, um, you know, even a little bit more weakness in the high frequency data, you know, I think that has moved our congressional leaders to provide more stimulus from Washington and from the federal government. The question is the timing on that. So that will help growth in the fourth quarter, I think. Um, You know, but we continue to expect it to be a long road from here with, you know, the unemployment rate not getting back to kind of where we were pre-crisis levels to where we were you know, until I think 2013 at the early, mm-hmm. excuse me, uh, 2023 at the earliest, maybe even a little bit yeah. after that. So it's still a long road, unfortunately. Tiffany, thank you so much. Tiffany Welding with us. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide. I'm Bloomberg Radio.